It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. Respite for Rafa as Gray galvanises Goodison. They had to wait until late, but it was a much-needed tonic for Everton in the Premier League last night as they beat Arsenal by two goals to one, ever so slightly easing the pressure on Boss Benitez. Just how critical was that win for the Toffees in a week where the pressure is built on those above, including the sporting director leaving the club? We'll pick apart all of that shortly on today's Football Social Daily. Plus, Southampton drafting a 40-year-old to cope with their keeping crisis and how will Man City and Liverpool approach their Champions League contests tonight, having already secured safe passage to the knockout stages. All of that to come on today's show, the only daily Premier League podcast out there. So hit subscribe now and you won't miss a jot. I'm Niall and with me today on Football Social Daily, we've got Jim Salverson. Hello, Jim. Yeah, I know. Very good. Thank you, mate. And from the Unholy Trinity joining us today, which is a dedicated Everton FC podcast, Mike Richards is here. Morning, Mike. Morning. How are you? I'm very good. Probably not quite as good as you, though. Making the early start slightly better with a a well-earned victory for Everton last night. Unholy Trinity is, of course, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network, which you can find on the website sport-social.co.uk. Just click the podcast tab at the top of the page and you'll be able to find the Unholy Trinity there as well as wherever you get your podcasts. And it is Everton where we start today. There's only one place really we could have begun and that was last night's Premier League game at Goodison Park in which the Toffees beat Arsenal by two goals to one. So, Mike, I suppose the key question is just how needed was that win for your boys last night? It was absolutely vital. You know, we, we were looking uh, last night at what were we track five points from uh, from the bottom three and five points from the bottom of the table, which is totally unacceptable. And, and we certainly shouldn't be in, in that position. So to, to get a win, uh, many might have seen it as unexpected with the obviously the the negativity surrounding the club and obviously the uh, supposed fans protest and things like that. So many might see it as unexpected. Personally, I thought we'd get something from the game just because of the side that Arsenal are and how inconsistent they are. But in terms of getting the win and getting three points, it was massive. And I mean, obviously, you've seen the scenes 
you know, when that goal goes in and at the end of the game. And I think it's, it was just sheer relief, I think, for both players and fans. Um, so we obviously were, we're delighted to, to come away with three points. Yeah, I mean, that's the loudest I've heard Goodison Park for ages. Would, would, would that be a fair assessment? 100%, yeah. The, the atmosphere has certainly been a struggle, uh, that's for sure. I mean, we've had, had a couple of, of decent moments this season. If you, you know, Going back to Southampton, uh, we, that was a, a decent turnaround. The atmosphere was was, was good. Uh, Burnley, was, it was half decent, but we've we struggled. We, we really haven't. And Everton, you know, it's, it's one of the most difficult places to go if the fans are on side. And, and last night, I think for the majority of the game, the, the atmosphere was good. The, the fans were pushing pushing the players as, as best we could. And it was, I think that made it more difficult for, for Arsenal. Um, and like I say, it's probably the most difficult ground, especially given how tight it is once the fans get on side. But there hasn't been enough of those moments this season where probably we've we've been able to, to push to push the side along. I mean, you've seen obviously some of the results and performances. You know, Watford... You know, unforgivable. The Merseyside derby was poor. Been a lot of those games in Goodison Park this season where we've massively, massively struggled. But it was great. The atmosphere was fantastic last night. Yeah, I agree with you. Goodison Park's still one of my favourite grounds in England. And even though I've got no real affili- affiliation to Everton, I'll be gutted when they leave there. It's one of the few old school grounds still left in, in the country. And the roar was so clear last night when Everton got the winner through Gray uh, to make it 2-1 late on. You mentioned those games against Watford and the Merseyside derby against Liverpool, two really disappointing results. I mean, like you say, to concede five against Watford, especially for a Rafa Benitez team with Rafa known for being quite defensively sound, that was a bit of a surprise. So how much pressure was the manager really under, Mike, when it when it came to last night's game? Massive pressure, I think. Um, in, in my mind, if he would have lost the game last night, I think he would have been gone. I know there's been a lot of talk since Marcel Brands went a couple of days ago that the manager's now been given more power in terms of recruitment and bringing players in and things like that. So we're, we're moving away in the shorter term from this this director of football model. Um, so it seemed the manager was getting a little bit more power, but you know it, it's a results game. And if, you, if you're not winning games and we, we would have lost again last night, I think he would have been gone. So the pressure's still there. You know, this is, this is just a, a really important win. Um, hopefully it's, it's, it means we can kick on and, and obviously get more wins over the next, the next few games but he's still under big pressure for me uh, because we, we've, we've hidden behind the excuse of injuries for a little while and understandably so we've, we've all agreed that you know we've had injuries to major major players which is, has meant that we, we can't perform a particular way but looking at that side now the only player who's missing is Dominic Calvert-Lewin so those those excuses about injuries they will not not last forever and certainly you know fans will be thinking well you know bar our, our striker we've got a Saturday that is, is capable of winning games so if you're not then I think I think he you say he's still under under massive massive pressure but you know we hope as much as he came in under a little bit of negativity with his obviously his past affiliation to Liverpool we still want our side to win every single game and if he if he's successful then we're successful so. Yeah, pressure's still there, don't get me wrong. And I think, you know, that over the next few games before we get into the new year, he's still got to be picking up points um, uh, along the way. We'll get into the nuts and bolts of last night's game in a second. But when it comes to Rafa Benitez, Jim, we we said when he got the job that it was always going to be an interesting match with those Liverpool affiliations that Mike mentions. Yeah, completely. And it's something Benitez needed to hit the ground running. That was the kind of perception around him, that if he was going to win over those Everton fans, he needed to 
do well and do well quickly and it just didn't happen. There were a couple of early victories and then it tailed off dramatically, which as Mike kind of suggested, has largely been pointed out that the injuries that Everton have had that have caused that drop off in form. And that's kind of been Benitez's saving grace a little bit. The fact he has been able to say, look, once we get the players back, once these key individuals come back into the team, we will start getting those results. And I think to a certain extent, even though Everton fans don't like his past necessarily and those affiliations with Liverpool, I think that status he has got in the game has protected him slightly in that he is a manager that has succeeded in every job he's been in, whatever those expectations are. And you look at the different expectations at someone like Liverpool and the expectations that he had on someone like Newcastle, vastly different, but he's managed to reach and exceed those at every place. So there's a, ma- a certain level of trust and belief that this is a manager who knows what he's doing and a manager that can get the job done. I must admit, I thought a poor result against Liverpool in the Merseyside derby would be the end of him. And I don't think probably, I think probably a 5 or 6 nil might have been the final moment of his managerial tender but he's ridden that the club have clearly offered up brands as this sacrificial lamb not to say he didn't deserve to go because his tenure at Everton has been disastrous but I think he's been kind of offered up as this this kind of like I say sacrificial lamb to keep Benitez in the job and to relieve pressure for a little bit going forward but I think having seen how Everton played last night and they dominated Arsenal I think Everton fans will start to feel slightly more positive about what he can do at their club now. Well, let's talk about Brands then, because you both mentioned him. Obviously, the sporting director, it was announced he would be leaving the club on Sunday. Is it too easy to say that that was a catalyst for the win, Mike? You know, if we assess his time at Goodison Park, Jim's called it disastrous. You know, he's been in charge of signing the players around £300 million spent on personnel since he's come in. Would you agree with what Jim says? That's quite a scathing assessment. Was it really that bad under Brands? No. I think that from the outside looking in, when you, you look at the club, you, you appoint a director of football or sport and director, however we want to, we want to term it, you, you assume that he's responsible for recruitment. Um, he gets together with the manager. He, he presents transfer targets and, and then they go from there. And since Marco Silva left, Marcel Brands has not been able to do his job. He didn't want Carlo Ancelotti because he doesn't work with the director of football, especially. I know he, he has over the years, but if you look at the signings that Ancelotti brought in, it was players that he knew, like the Hammers, obviously like of Alan, those kind of players, big money signings, which went totally against the grain and what we, we were looking to do. Um, obviously, Benny Tess is another one. You, you look at what who, who he's brought in. Um, we obviously we had little or no money to spend, uh, which is another another issue in its in itself. But Marcel Brands was was never really by the first sort of twelve eighteen months given the role of, of being responsible for for recruitment, which is what his job title states. So we've always been, you know, we've always backed them in in the sense that if you're going to have a director of football, you've got to have the correct model. And Everton didn't. Everton had the director of football in name only for me. And it was almost as if we were just following suit of what other other sides did. Um, it was like, like it, it's a trend, so we'll do it, in my opinion. Has he been scapegoated then, in a way? Not not entirely, but I mean, if you look at Sky Sports and their coverage last night of the Arsenal game, they went in on Mashiri. Gary Neville wasn't shy in sharing his thoughts on the Everton owner. Uh, he said he doesn't know what he's doing. Is Is that fair? And do you think that you know, maybe Marcel Brands has copped a bit of collateral for that. Um, I think with with Farhad Mashiri is he's not particularly a football man, so you know he's he's 
no, no one is 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 slagging the man off for bringing the money he's brought into the club. He's he's invested a lot of money. You look at Bramley Moore now in terms of how that's taking shape, and you know, in in two and a half years' time, when we're down there, that's going to be the man's legacy at the club. So no one's slagging him for that. But I think that he does struggle because he likes to get involved himself. He, he gets involved with agents like the kids are actually has, has had a big big role to play at the club. Why? I don't know. You know, why why is he getting involved in Everton's transfers and why is he negotiating deals on behalf of the club? That's because Mashiri's good friends with him. Well we've got no time for that kind of relationship at, at our club to be perfectly honest. So I understand why Mashiri gets gets a lot of stick because he's the man who can make the changes. So what what the fans were calling for at the game last night in this this so called twenty seven for twenty seven protest was for for Mashiri to not not for Mashiri to walk away, but to make the correct management changes to to have open communication with the fans because our communication is absolutely terrible. You know you, you see the likes of Aston Villa, you know, and they they've got the chief executive and he, he talks quite open openly on on the. On the Aston Villa media side of things, whereas Farhad Machine is going through Jim White on talks, but with a text message, things like that. That's, <laughs> you know, it's pretty poor, isn't it? It's really, really poor. And that side of things is not good enough. But Marcel Brands, for me, yes, he was scapegoated in the sense that they knew what was coming up with the fans and the fad unrest. And he thought, okay, well, what can we do about that? We'll buy ourselves a little bit of time. And I think, to be fair, it was probably a mutual agreement because I think Marcel Brands, you've obviously seen the footage from. The Merseyside derby when he's the one who, who gets gets attacked verbally by a fan and, and he comes back a little bit. I think he must have just thought, I've, I've got no time for this. I can't even do my own job and I'm the one who's getting a lot of stick here. Um, so he was scapegoated in a way, but I think the, the decision was probably mutual and he's been quite happy to walk away. Um, and I'm sure that he will go on and to, to another club and, and do his do his job correctly as he as he's going to be asked to do. And I think he'll do it do, do it pretty well. But I think it's more about the Everton structure and the hierarchy as opposed to Marcel Brands, in my opinion. I think if you're an owner, if you're a owner of a football club, as Mike kind of says there, you don't necessarily need to know what you're doing. You just need to have really deep pockets and you need to have an awareness that you don't know what you're doing. So it's fine to not necessarily know the ins and outs of football and own a football club, but it's then working out where you draw the line between your involvement and what you hire the right people to do. There are plenty of football clubs run hugely successfully that have a man at the top that doesn't necessarily want to pick the players that are bought in or pick the tactics or pick the players every team, but they have an awareness of that and they put people in place, be it a chief executive or a director of football or the right manager that then takes control. I think the issue comes when you have an owner who wants to have a level of control over the club and over the direction and over the team, but doesn't necessarily have the knowledge or the experience to back that up. And I think that's kind of where Everton are tiptoeing along at the moment is that Mashiri wants to have a hands-on approach, but doesn't necessarily have the experience or know-how to do that effectively. Well, let's talk about the game. We've uh, spoken about Everton uh, behind the scenes and what maybe might be next for them, but they won last night in the Premier League, 2-1 against Arsenal. We can talk about Marcel Brands and some of the additions he's made, whether they've been a success or not, but Damari Gray, who's been excellent for Everton since he signed in the summer, scored the winner. He said after the match that it's the best moment of his Everton career so far. Cracking strike, went in off the post from outside the box to win the game, as I say. At £1.5 million, Jim, is he the bargain of the season? So far, 
100%. I mean, he pretty much set up the other goal as well, didn't he, by canning his shot off the bar. But he's been absolutely superb from what I've seen of him playing for Everton. And I can't think of any players that have performed to that level for £1.5 million or any players that even cost £1.5 million in the Premier League. And I think all credit goes to... I think he was a Rafa Benitez signing, wasn't he, Mike? But it was his choice. But credit goes to Benitez for spotting the talent there and bringing him into the team. Yeah, what's your take on Gray, Mike? Because... I mean, from a neutral's perspective, we've all been really impressed with him. You've watched him, you know, close hand. Has he really been as good as people say? Yeah, of course. I mean, he was a player that I liked before he actually went to Leicester and Everton were linked to him um, and obviously kept an eye on him at Leicester and, and always thought he had a decent impact for them. Obviously, you know, he, he came off the bench quite often for them um, and in the end, he, he decided he was going to going to go to Germany and, and try and obviously further his career over there, which for me shows shows what he's all about, you know, Um it's it's now become a little bit more common that you, you have this is players and players who play in the Premier League who who go and and seek employment abroad if you like and it was great to see him go and do that. Uh, didn't quite work out, but I think initially he had, he had a decent impact over there. But he, he openly admitted himself he, he struggled with homesickness and and being away from family. Um, so he's he's come in, you know, one point seven million pound uh, was what we got him for. Then uh, he says. I think he was he was certainly the, the man uh, behind that. Um, I'm sure Marcel Brand has probably signed that one off though to be honest with you because it's it's a it's a win win situation. It wasn't a massive gamble. And and we needed players with, with pace and, and that's exactly what he's what he's brought. Um carries the ball really well. You saw last night obviously he can he can finish. Um and he's just brought a bit of a spark to the side, you know. And to be fair, Andros Townsend has dropped off maybe a little bit in recent weeks, but he, he did similar. Um, and and it's the, the two of them have been have been decent acquisitions, but but Damari Day has got that in his locker. You know when when you go with anyone with pace, they, they can't touch you. And and he's got the the the, tech, tech, the the technique and the ability to to stick it away. So great for him. Be being definitely one of our our shining lights so far in it in a, a below average season I'd say yeah great finish from him last night and as Jim says for me bargain of the season so far I think I uh, underestimated his value by about 200k but as you say I think I think even anything up to five or six million is still an absolute <laughs> waste of money. bargain waste of money yeah, now what a waste of 200k <laughs> um, let's talk about a moment that happened early on in the game Ben Godfrey was looked into by VAR for I don't want to call it a stamp on the Arsenal defender Tomiyasu, but certainly his, his boot made contact with Tomiyasu's face. His head was looking the other way. There have been question marks, particularly on social media, as to whether it should have been a red card or not for dangerous play and whether it was intentional. What do you think, Jim? Do you think that it should have been a red card for Godfrey or did VAR get it right? I think it depends what colour shirt you got on to whether you think it was a red card or not, because... I can kind of see both. What about a black one for the red? <laughs> actually, I'm actually wearing a black shirt today. Um, it's 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 a really difficult one. I've watched this loads of times. I can't quite work it out. And I think it depends whether you're looking at the top half of his body or the bottom half of his body as to whether it's a red card or not. Because you look at the top half, as you say, he is making a almost overly concerted effort to not be looking at the player and where his feet are landing. His neck is craned right the way around and he is 100% watching the ball. At this period of time, he's in the air. So he's got no real control over where he's going at that time. If you look at the bottom half of his body, however, his foot does seem to come down in a slightly unusual motion. So he kind of like moves it slightly forward but at the same time, not quite enough forward that would seem to match his 
stride, if that makes any sense at all. And I think it's really difficult. I'm not necessarily sure, as you say, it didn't look like a stamp as such, but it did look like potentially he was trying to catch the Arsenal player on his chest with his foot and maybe he could have avoided the contact if he wanted to. So it's one of those ones that you can kind of understand the arguments that it was a red, but at the same time, you can kind of understand the arguments that he would get away with it as well. So I'm I'm a little bit undecided. It didn't seem particularly nasty. That's what I would say. It didn't seem like he was trying to injure the opposition. It just seemed a little bit clumsy, which I think is why the referee on the day decided that it wasn't sending off. I'd agree with that. I don't think Godfrey intentionally tried to, to stand on Tomiyasu's head. Uh, I mean, but was it avoidable? Probably, I think. And that's where the grey area comes. Is it is it a red because it was avoidable? Is it still a dangerous play, even if it's unintentional? Well, well, yeah, I guess it is. I remember one for Manchester United in the Champions League a few years ago where the ball was coming out of the sky. And I think it was Nanny who tried to control it whilst jumping in midair. And he went to control it with with his boot quite high and he ended up sort of studying a, a Real Madrid player in the chest and he got sent off for it. And, and all the United fans are up in arms going, oh, he's watching the ball, it's unintentional. He still put eight studs in the guy's chest and it's dangerous play. So I guess that there's an argument for both 100%. We won't go too deep into that one. It was, it was, it was decided that it wasn't a red card in the end. You have an awareness where even if you're not looking in the direction of the player, you have an awareness of where that person is. So he would have known where he would have come from because he's, he's jumping over him ultimately. So he knows his trajectory and he knows where he's coming from. So he knows roughly where he is, even if he doesn't know the position of, say, his chin that his boot ends up connecting with. So, yeah, it could have been avoidable and it probably was dangerous. It wasn't GBH, but it probably was dangerous. OK, we'll leave that one there. We now talk about Arsenal because it's another defeat for them. After they were unbeaten since August, they went to Manchester United and lost. Now they've lost at Goodison Park. And so the question marks over Mikel Arteta are starting to crop up again. Now, there was one moment last night, Eddie and Ketia missed from a yard. He hit the post. And if that goes in, you could argue there aren't as many fingers being pointed at the Arsenal manager. But as such, they lost the game. I've got this feeling, Mike, and I don't know whether you agree, looking at Arsenal, that unless they're in the top four, those questions over Mikel Arteta are always going to be there. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that Arsenal fans, and I'm sure they'll, they'll, they will they will say the same, that it's not the Arsenal of old. So when I was growing up and younger and you're looking at sides of Thierry Henry and Patrick Vieira and people like that, they're a million miles from that side. So you have to as fans. I mean, obviously, people throw it at us sometimes when we you say you've got to accept where you are. Well, well yes, to a point. We'll accept that we're not a, a top four side at this moment in time, but I won't accept as an Everton fan that we should be challenging for European football. And Arsenal are challenging for European football. And I think the the issue with with Arsenal and with uh, the Mikel Arteta side is you always question the whether the Arsenal side are actually up, up for a battle. And that kind of game last night was not a game Arsenal want to be involved in because, like I said earlier on, when the fans are up, the Everton players were up. We were feeling probably a little bit hard done to having having two goals disallowed. Um, a lot of negativity around the club, which creates an even probably better atmosphere. So you always question whether they actually want to be involved in 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 that kind of that kind of game because the players and the characters that they've got, without knowing them personally, they don't come across as a side who you want to you want to be playing Everton at Goodison Park on a Monday night under the floodlights, in my opinion. So that's something which only comes with buying difference mentality of player um, and I think 
some Arsenal fans are probably still in have that belief that they should be in the top four every single season. But you know, there's three three clubs are miles ahead in Man City, Liverpool, and Chelsea. You know, you look at United; they they're, they're probably going to, going to kick on and, and grab the other top four position. Tottenham changing manager now; they're going to be challenging West Ham. David Moyes doing a good job there; they're going to be up there. So, I think I think Arsenal fans need to sort of look at. Okay, where where should we be with this with this squad? They're currently sitting seventh. They could have got up to fifth last night with a win. So they're probably where they should be. Um I think it's more more just a question of our player attitude. But you know, and Ketty puts that ball in. He might probably want to win the game. You know, and he shouldn't have, he shouldn't be missing from, from a yard out. It was harder to miss than it was to score. And then you look at Obama Yang with the last kick of the game. He should have been scoring as well. So really they could have come away with at least a point. And and he would have probably been quite satisfied with that. But Arteta's always under pressure, I think, and I think that's just because of fan expectation and what's gone in the in the past with Arsene Wenger. I think you're spot on, Mike, to be honest. Like you say, Inketia hits the post from a yard, Abamyang turns up a decent chance. You know, if they get a point from that, I don't think there's any questions really over Arteta, but because they lost, that's just the nature of the, of the Arsenal job, like you say. But a massive three points for the Toffees last night. Everton beating Arsenal by two goals to one in the Premier League. We'll switch from the Premier League to the Champions League next on Football Social Daily. Liverpool and Manchester City both in action tonight. They're both already through. We'll talk about their approach next after this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. I've got Mike and Jim alongside me. I wanted to know if you've stocked your fridges yet for Christmas, because if you haven't, you need to get onto this offer from Beer52. Eight beers is normally what they'll offer you, but because you're a listener to Football Social Daily, you can get 10, two free beers additional in the case that they send to you. 5 95 is the price you'll need to pay for postage and packaging. You just need to log on to beer52.com forward slash football by the 17th of December to get that offer. There's a range of different styles of beer. You can choose light beer, you can choose dark beer, so whether you're into your lagers, your stouts, your bitters, you can make a choice and get a free case sent to you just by paying the postage and packaging so it's five pounds 95 jim you're a bit of a, a craft beer nut aren't you i like a, I like a nice pint yeah unless it's going to cost me eight quid in a local chalton bar which sometimes it does that, then i'm slightly <laughs> put off by it but normally yeah i'll go for a craft beer as you say aren't you a, uh, you grew up around the london area i'm surprised you're complaining at the price of a pint <laughs> oh manchester manchester prices have caught up with london now i reckon it's uh it's it's got it's gone beyond the joke i I liked it when a pint would cost you two quid. So like a two pound coin would you'd be able to swap it for a that's why drinking at home's so good now, right? That's why it's good. So that's why you need a well stocked fridge, so you'd have to pay the extortionate prices at your local. Precisely, and that's why for five ninety five, which you probably couldn't even get one pint for in the pubs around here these days, um, you can get ten whole beers by logging on to beer52.com uh, forward slash football and just paying that five ninety five postage just to let you know after you've done that after a month you'll be subscribed into the monthly beer club which is 24 pound a month but it's a no strings attached agreement you can cancel or pause that at any time 
And with your case, when it arrives, you'll get a magazine and a couple of snacks thrown in to wash the beer down with as well. So get on to that, beer52.com forward slash football. Time to talk about the Champions League now, though, and it's a trip to AC Milan for Liverpool tonight in the group stages. The final round of group matches taking place this week, and people will always talk about 2005 and 2007 finals when these two sides meet. But Klopp says not to worry about that, Jim, because he's rotating the side for fear of retribution from his medical team if he doesn't do so. What do you make of that? And secondly, it looks like Origi is going to start the game tonight, just his fifth start of the season. What are your thoughts on him just in general, in terms of his Liverpool future? Because we've had Liverpool fans on this podcast before saying they can't wait to see the back of him. He doesn't really perform that well when he starts matches. He isn't up to much the majority of the time, but he scored some massive goals for them, including recently at the weekend, of course. Well, on the first part of that, Jurgen Klopp is 100% right to rest key players for this game because they are through, it doesn't really matter. And despite the fact they've had those big games in the recent history of the club, there is no room for sentimentality when you get to this point in the season. We're seeing a lot of Premier League teams at the moment that are playing those Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever it is, European games. And then at the weekend, they are starting to look a little bit leggy. They are starting to pick up those fatigue-based injuries. So Jurgen Klopp is 100% right to be resting players, even though I think Liverpool, in terms of the big clubs, inverted commas, probably have slightly less squad depth than the likes of Chelsea and Manchester City. I mean, for him to suggest it's his medical staff that are insisting he rests players rather than him making managerial choices is typical Jurgen Klopp passing on the blame to someone else, isn't it? He might as well be blaming the weather again. He's just going, hey, look, if we lose, it's not my fault. Someone else is making these decisions. We'll have to see what happens. But it is the right call to be resting key players. As for Origi, now, I quite like Origi and I think it's disappointing. Don't say I'll take him at West Ham. I would. <laughs> I would. And I wouldn't oh, be surprised no. if he came in January as well. But I'm really disappointed in him as a player as the way he's handled his career. He spent six years, is it, I think? Uh, it might be slightly longer than that, actually. He spent six years-ish at Liverpool. And for those six years, he has been a bit part player at best, apart from 2019, 2020, when he was kind of a first-team regular. He's 26 years old now, and he's wasted six years of prime footballing time sitting on a bench and I think when you look at that you question the individual's mentality and what he wants to achieve because he could have moved to a club and he could have been a top level striker but he hasn't proved that and as for your suggestion that he doesn't necessarily score goals when he starts I I think you're kind of right but at the same time how many opportunities has he had to do that we know when strikers come into teams particularly they play off confidence and they play off consistency and they need that run of games in order to find form and he's never really had that he's got a cushy little career though Jim hasn't he I know you're saying he's not made the most of it but you know he's a cult hero at Liverpool for the goals he scored and he's a millionaire and he's only needed off the bench every now and again it sounds not too bad to me I mean he's, he's got these moments in in Liverpool history interspersed throughout his career so he can't be sort of slagged off on his way out of the door because he's, he's done a decent job for them. He's scored massive goals for them. But like I say, it goes back to mentality, doesn't it? It goes back to what he wants as a player. I guess he hasn't played more than 100 games for Liverpool over the six or seven seasons he's been there. And that for a Premier League footballer who is in their prime and is he's still quite highly regarded... I think has to be looked as being disappointing, doesn't it? 103, Jim. So you're three out, but I'll oh, take go. your point. Uh, that's just Premier League <laughs> games for, for 
Divock Origi. Interesting one, especially you mentioning that you'd take him at West Ham. Mikhail Antonio hasn't scored in a while. West Ham do need a, a backup option, a striker. Will he get into the West Ham team ahead of Mikhail Antonio? Will David Moyes play both of them? There's another question. Maybe he'll just go from being on the bench at Liverpool to being on the bench at West Ham. We'll wait and see. AC Milan, the visit, uh, the opponents tonight for Liverpool. They travel to the San Siro. Um, Manchester City on their travels in the Champions League tonight as well. Mike, they travel to RB Leipzig, who've just sacked their coach, Jesse Marsh. Pep Guardiola's already announced he's going to play Kevin De Bruyne after he's recovered from coronavirus. Do you think that just shows the strength of City's side that they've barely missed him in the three or four weeks that he's been away? Yeah, it's ridiculous, isn't it? You know, the the squad that they've got at their, their disposal, the, the vast majority of the Premier League sides look at that in, and that's what they aspire to, to have in terms of strength and depth. I mean, the, some of the performances from like Bernardo Silva has been in, in fantastic form. Um, obviously, they've got like, Phil Foden, Jack Grealish, as much as he hasn't maybe hit the ground running as much as he would have liked, and he openly admitted, I think it was last week, he struggled a little bit um, to, to adapt to, to the style of play and not having the ball as much. Uh, as he was at Villa, he's just got uh, an you know, incredible amount of, of talent in that squad and they can chop and change you know, as, as many as they want and, and the quality will either stay the same or will only drop very, very slightly and that, that's what happens when you've got uh, a, a bit of an ethos and a, a direction at a club and you've had many, many years to, to build it as well. Um, so you, you do look at those kind of sides and you... You do have a, have a hint of, of jealousy at times and you wonder whether other sides will ever be able to get up to the level and, and compete. Um, and They just got the money in at the right time, didn't they? Uh, their man Chelsea, to be fair, so they were able to, to start building, spend money with, without having the uh, financial fair play side of things uh, impact them and, and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, obviously the, the players they've got at their disposal, even without it, a proper number nine, if you like. If, if Harry Kane had been brought in the summer, they would have been by far and away uh, winning everything, in my opinion, because that, that's all that they lack is is that central, that central striker to score sort of 25, 30 goals a season for them, like Aguero used to do over the uh, over the years. Yeah, and you look at the names they were linked with. You said Harry Kane, but also they were linked with Haaland, they were linked with Lukaku, they were linked with Ronaldo. If any of those players had come into Manchester City, they could have 15 goals already this season in the Premier League it's frightening to think of you're right about how you know Pep Guardiola can sometimes tinker with the team and and bring in new players and things seem to stay the same I think Gary Neville won co-commentary a couple of weeks ago I think it might have been against Everton actually mentioned how they're all clones the, the City Academy players and they've got some players coming into the squad tonight Jim Cole Palmer James McAtee Romeo Lavia Josh Wilson Esbrand and Comrade Egan Riley they're all going to be making the trip to Germany for the game tonight now when Pep first came into Manchester City particularly for the first three or so years he was criticized for not playing youth particularly for not playing Phil Foden who was the standout young player at the time and now everyone can agree that he nurtured Phil Foden perfectly and he's blossoming into one of England's best young players. But he's been at City five years now and we're just starting to see more youngsters emerge. Mike pinpoints the time when the money came into City and their ability to be able to spend it and put that infrastructure in place. Are we now starting to see the fruits of that early labour, do you think, with these academy players coming through who will be involved tonight? Firstly, is anyone else surprised by the amount of players coming through who have double-barrelled surnames? I don't remember this being a thing in the past, but there you've got Joshua Wilson Esbrown. Honestly, it's, it's endemic throughout the whole under-23 league. What's going on? They're all <laughs> over the everywhere. place. But yeah, yeah, I mean, this is the, um, this is the chickens come home, home, coming home to roost for Manchester City in that 
they're finally seeing the fruits of their labor in terms of the investment they have put into that academy. I don't think we can be praising Pep Guardiola too much yet for him bringing these youth players through because at this stage in their development, he's had very little to do with that. And actually, what we need to see him do now is to give those players a real opportunity in the first team. I think we've started to see it with Cole Palmer. He clearly trusts him as a player to lead the Manchester City line. So he's featured more and more. But as for the other players, I think we need to reserve judgment yet. But this is what happens. This is what happens when a club invests heavily in youth. And they've been investing into that youth academy for the best part of a decade now. And they've been mopping up all the promising young talent from right the way around the world, not just in the UK. And so it's... It's understandable that they'd have a decent crop of youngsters coming through at this stage because these players, and I don't know much about the history of James McAtee or Romeo Rilio Lavia or whoever it is, but I'd imagine they've probably been in that youth system playing the Pep Guardiola way for probably six or so years now. So it's understandable they have got a clear route to the first team. What's happened to the other four, five, six hundred youth players that have been sucked up by City and haven't made it to the first team? That's an interesting question. And what kind of duty of care is around those individuals who have been promised a world in football and haven't quite succeeded? I think that's an interesting question. Just do what Chelsea do, sign them all as pro and loan them out. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just do that instead. It's an interesting one. The youth system in England is maybe not the most responsible in terms of recruitment and bringing players through. But I think as far as Manchester City are concerned, they've got a real talented crop of youngsters and it's a talented crop of youngsters that they have invested in. So these aren't... Traditionally, when you look at youth players coming through from your academy, you think, oh, brilliant, freebie. This guy would have cost us 50 million quid. I wonder when you break down the cost of each of these players in terms of the investment in the academy, exactly how that looks. And I think think the Manchester City Academy actually turns a profit in terms of the players it brings in and the players it sells but at the same time there's a heavy investment in these guys so it's right and there'd be questions asked if Manchester City weren't developing youth yeah interesting question for sure Manchester City on their travels in Germany tonight to face Leipzig all four Premier League teams involved in the Champions League are through to the knockout stages so we've got four dead rubbers over the next two days in the Champions League so we won't dwell too long on those two fixtures let's talk instead uh, about an older player. We've gone from young players to older ones. Southampton have got a bit of a goalkeeping crisis on their hands, Mike. Their two first choice keepers, Alex McCarthy and, and Fraser Forster, are both injured or unavailable for the next week or so, uh, if not longer. So they've drafted in 40-year-old Willie Caballero, who's joined on a short-term deal until January. So what's that? Three, four weeks time. uh, What are your thoughts on that? Do you think it proves that players can now play till far longer in the modern game, especially goalkeepers? Because I can't remember the last time someone signed a 40-year-old player in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at, obviously, goalkeepers, they they should naturally have a a longer life cycle, I think, at the the top of the game, Um, especially in the modern modern game as well. You know, with the... the way, the way football science and sports science is and the, the, the lifestyle that, that players lead, you, you do tend to see more and more players going, going on that little bit longer. Um, I think with the likes of uh, Caballero, he's, he's had so many years as a number two or number three that you know he, he hasn't he hasn't played a great deal of games in that time. So he's probably certainly got games in the bag, if you, if you see what I mean. Um, he hasn't got the, as much wear and tear maybe as others at, at that age, other goalkeepers at that age, because he has spent so long as... As a, as a deputy 
Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things. It's it's needs must. Obviously, you, you you don't really account for that kind of thing when with goalkeepers and not having say two two of your main goalkeepers unavailable uh, at at the same time. So it'll be interesting to see, as I say, with them not playing a great deal of football um, over the last the last few years, is whether he can come in and and do a half decent job. Obviously, he's at a particular level, but like like any any position, you know, if you if you're not playing regularly. You, you don't come in and, and fire on all cylinders from the off. Um, so I'd be I'd be watching them to see um, to see how good he actually is. One at a, at that age and two for not, not playing uh, a lot of football over the last the last few years. I don't think forty two is that old. I've got to say I don't think forty. Well, I say forty is that old. This is coming from a forty two year old, and <laughs> it's a bit of a cliche. Age is a number, and there is very there's a difference between one individual who's 40 and another in terms of not only their fitness, but also their body condition and the actual physical age of their body. People age at different rates. But then in terms of goalkeepers, John Burridge played at the top level till he was 43. Brad Friedel was 42. Neville Southfield was 41. Edwin van der Sar was still Manchester United number one at the age of 40. So I don't think it's anything new that keepers go on to play into their late 30s, early 40s. I think it's one of those positions, as Mike rightly says, where you can go on a little bit longer than maybe you could if you were an outfielder. David James was 40 when he was in goal for us as well. So, yeah, it's definitely something that we've seen in the past. I just think, uh, as as Mike says, you know, Caballero's played two games last season and they both came in September 2020. So it's been a while since he's played. Yeah, that will be the question for sure. I I was waiting for you to say, I'll take him at West Ham, but that never came (laughs) you. (laughs) That'll do us for today on Football Social Daily. Thanks very much for your time, Jim. And thank you, Mike, as well. Just before you go, Mike, tell us a little bit about the um, Unholy Trinity podcast. Yeah, yeah. We we tend to get a show out every every week, sometimes a couple of times a week. Uh, Obviously, looking back at the previous game and the, and the, the next game coming up and the major talking points come out of the club, which obviously there's been quite a few over the last the last uh, few weeks or so. Uh, and we do a do a spin-off show as well, the, the, the Trinity B-side, where we look to discuss the, the major issues in football. So we, we recently had on Andros Townsend's dad, uh, Troy, who works for Kick It Out, discussing racism in football and the work that he does. Uh, we've done homophobia. Uh, we've also just uh, spoken to, to football scouts and, and analysts as well and, and their role in the game so there's got all, all sorts of things going on um so all, all the episodes are are available obviously through through sports social yourselves and, and across all, all major platforms as well yeah absolutely you can find those podcasts on all of your usual podcast platforms as well as the website sport-social.co.uk and just click the podcast tab at the top of the screen but that's it from us today at football social daily make sure you hit subscribe and that way you won't miss tomorrow's episode we'll be back again with you then Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. An official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. 
With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov slash extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services.